Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm really grateful to be here this morning, and I am offering up just a reflection about resistance, surrender, and abundant imagination. And before I go into it, I just want to take a moment of gratitude for this faith community and let everyone know that I feel loved, I feel buoyed, and I feel anchored here. And it makes all of the difference in the work I'm doing in our community and in our world. So, thank you. So, this is a rock from the shores of Lake Superior. It's not shiny, it's not a shiny, colorful agate. It's not quartz or slate or granite. And some of the more interesting, it, it's not one of the more interesting rocks you may come across, or, you know, on Gichigami. It's a basalt rock and it's over a billion years old. Even as a kid, when other kids were searching for the colorful agates, I would always find the smooth basalt rocks. My mom would find them in the wash, having been forgotten in my pockets. She was constantly telling me to stop carrying rocks. My dad, on the other hand, would offer Tobias the agates from the, the agate shop. I think everybody stops there, right? Um, if we came back, and he would do this if we came back empty-handed from our, our adventures near the lake. Sometimes I would accept the offer of colorful, polished, clean agates that would seem to sparkle if you held them in the sunlight just right. And yet, I still always found my way back to these basalt rocks. These were and are my favorite. These basalt rocks didn't and don't look very pretty or colorful. They were and are very simple and plain looking rocks, but you can turn them over in your hand a thousand times. You can rub them and they are so smooth. The soft, smooth roundness is always as soothing as the first time it touched your skin. As a child, when my parents were having fights, sometimes I would hide in my room holding onto my rocks. Sometimes I would wipe the tears away with the rock and touch it to my face because it felt so soothing. Now as an adult, I still find basalt rocks from the shores of Gichigami, hidden away here or there in my house, sometimes even forgotten in a pair of jeans. I find them in the wash. <laughs> Though the ritual has new meaning for me now. Now I try to keep better track of them and I take back what I, I take, I return them to the shores I get them from. And the shores that I get them from now are the rocky beach where we spread my dad's ashes years ago. I still cry into the rock sometimes, only now I imagine it as part of my dad's embrace from wherever he is now. I still turn over the rock in my pocket, allowing the smoothness to soothe me into a place of courage, calm, and stability. If you see me at actions doing that, you can, you can know what I'm doing now. <laughs> I once felt compelled to understand why this particular basalt rock is so smooth, so I did a little research. I'm sure there are those in the room who know more about it than I do, but it would seem this smoothness is a combination of what the rock is made of and also billions of years 
um, what it was made of and forged in the fiery inferno of the earth, making the process and then crushing and grinding it, and then finally worn away by water. Millions of years of water wearing it down. As long as humans have been on this earth, we have looked for inspiration and lessons from Mother Nature, and I'm certainly not the first person nor the last to draw a conclusion between water's ability to wear down and transform even the toughest of the earth, Earth's rocks. I do sit with a problem, though, in reasoning along with these analogies. I don't know about you, but when I usually hear these ancient wisdoms about you know, most times from Eastern religions um, saying, you know, like, you should be like the water and wear down the rock. And there's a part of me that's like, yes, this is so wise. Yes, be like the water. And then I'm like, wait a second, what? I don't have billions of years. <laughs> what? And if my family genes are any indication, I'm lucky if I have around 30-ish high, more functioning years left. I mean, that's kind of terrifying but it's real. So how do we reconcile these all to human bodies and lives with our place in history as collective inheritors of legacies of hatred and violence so big that it's just easier to ignore? I can't say that I have many answers, but what I can offer this, what I can offer is this. White supremacy is destroying us all. Whether you are white or Asian, indigenous or Latinx, Pacific Islander or any other ethnicity, it's destroying us, not in spirit, not just in spirit, not just in emotional isolation, but in our literal physical bodies. For black people, indigenous people, it means being gunned down by the police for things that white people get passes for. It means so many things. For white people, among other things, it means being in a state of constant fear of other people, fear of losing control, fear of, fear of losing privileges that were paid for in blood that wasn't theirs. The cost of white supremacy is so high for us all. As a denomination, we are fast approaching the 50th anniversary of the time in our UU history when over 1,000 black people left our denomination. If we are to disallow history to repeat itself, if we are to change course before it's not too late, as a community, we must do things in a profoundly different way. It is time now to dream into, new, dream into being new ways of being in the world, to imagine what our reason tells us is impossible, that we can love, not just in this world, but just in our corner of this world, right here in Minneapolis, in these church walls, we can love it into a place where black lives matter. Where our souls can meet each other through new understanding and learn to care for each other in new ways. Ways that move us to act for justice and bridge the spaces in the world that we have been told are unbridgeable. The world tells us just to look away Life is hard enough. I no longer believe in resistance as an obligation, but I believe in it as life support. I no longer believe in living off the tiny pieces of scraps that capitalism wants me to believe that I deserve in fighting for that house, that private property, or that big salary. I believe now in surrendering to my faith. What that means fully to me is a sermon for another day. 
But indeed, what it means is that I have a reason to believe that I don't have millions of years to be like water, but I am a drop. I am choosing to surrender to a faith of resistance as I take my place in the world and step into the shadows of the millions who have come before me and done the same. I simultaneously forge a path for those who will choose the same path after me. In this way, I believe I am a part of the millions of years. And I choose to embrace an abundant imagination that dares to imagine a world where we wear down the jagged edges of oppression, grinding away its cruelest edges and reforming them with justice. I'm asking you now to take the time to cry into the rock with me. We do this in the end together, having a collective millions of years and wearing down those edges. When we can imagine a new world into being, we can surrender to a, a faith of resistance that is like water, relentless in its insistence to keep moving us to smoothness. I'll leave you with this well-beloved saying, which I source from a book called Wisdom of the Jewish Sages, a modern reading of Perke Avet by Rabbi Rami Shapiro. It's a well-beloved quote, and it is this. Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it.